Exploring the Word of God together allows us to share in the joy that comes from discovering the words of hope and salvation which overflow from our Bibles. Upper Room Media presents to you this educational, enlightening and entertaining Bible study. Prepare to be transformed. In the name of the Father and Son, the Holy Spirit, Amen. We are the book of Proverbs chapter 4. We are verse 10. If you guys just want to remind you, we said the first 10 chapters, they are about lectures to young people. And then after this, from 10 to 20, it's a general instruction. And at the end, there's instruction for leaders. And when at the, end, at the very last uh, chapter, it talks about a righteous woman. We said that there are about 10 lectures specifically given to young people. And between these lectures, there are pauses. So last time, we finished, chapter, uh, uh, finished lecture 5. Today, we'll start lecture 6. Each lecture, you will find it clear. He starts usually by, hear my son, listen my son. That's usually the beginning of a lecture. That's like, so you guys, uh, you will hear this a lot until we finish this section. So we start with verse 10. He says, hear my son and receive my sayings and the years of your life will be many. What is this? A beginning of a lecture. You got ready, you will know this, okay? So you say, hear my son, this is a new lecture. He says, take all what I'm telling you into account. And he's telling him that the years of your life will be many. He doesn't specifically mean just the quantity, but more interested in the quantity, in the quality. Because the wisdom of God does not constrain us to this life. It's something that grows with us eternally. So people live in this life, much more abundant life, every day, every year, because they listen to the instruction of the scripture. Never instruction. And a lot of times, for example, when we look at our life, we say, man, I wish I would have listened to my parents when they told me this. I wish I would have listened to the church when they told me this. You know, for example, a lot of kids, a lot of even adults will be like, I wish I would have attended hymns classes when I was younger. I wish I attended Coptic classes when I was younger. After you get, for example, maybe four or five tickets, you'll be like, I wish I would have listened to my parents and they're off more carefully. Now I have all these points and I have to take classes and all of this stuff, right? And sometimes, for example, people, when times come for marriage, you say, I wish I would have listened to my parents and I was careful about how I spend and I was wise. If you look at your life, you'll find there are many advices that we have received. And if we, if we would have listened to them, they would have a much positive impact on our life. He's telling him the quality of your life will change. He's telling him, I have taught you in the way of wisdom. I have led you in the right path. Wisdom is singular, path is pure. The way of wisdom means there is, um, there is, it's, a, it's a practical lifestyle. It's not, a, it's not like when we talk about the way of wisdom, it's not like more a contemplation. But it's, there's a, a way that you must walk in. For example, we have the church seasons. Some days we fast, some days we don't fast. Some days there's, uh, we have longer prayer, some we have less prayer. Sometimes you're working, not working. 
there's a path and seasons that the church put for us. And these paths are important. Sometimes people want to walk on their own. Like some people would want to fast extra or not fast at all. They just want to change something. But there's already a path or already a way that has been engraved for us. In Proverbs 25, 8, it says, Good and upright in the Lord, therefore he teaches sinners the way. The way is not found by accident. The way is taught and lived and practiced. Nobody finds the way by accident. And here when he talks about path, it's plural because there could be different different, uh, uh, different path that different people have taken in their life. Some have decided to live monastic life, some have become married, some became dedicated servants, some become doctors, some become whatever it is, different path. But at the end of the day, they all, uh, they all lead you to the right path. Like actually a while ago, I was very interested in this topic. So I looked at some of the saints uh, from the Coptic Church, from the Eastern Church, and then you will see specific patterns that are extremely similar. You will see all of them practice, for example, detachment from the world. All of them practice self-denial. All of them practice some sort of self-asceticism. Continuous prayer. Scripture reading. Some patterns, there's no way you will find a saint without these patterns. But it could be different where they are, what language they spoke, what culture they have. But there are, at the end of the day, they are read to a specific wisdom, a specific right path. That's why St. Clement of Alexandria said, there's only one way of truth, but different path from different places join it. Just like rivers flowing into a perennial liver, so these are really inspired words. Hear my son and accept my words to have many paths of life. This concept is important because sometimes when we are impressed by somebody, we want to copy even their own personalities. But he's saying there are different paths, but one wisdom. He says, when you walk, your steps will not be hindered, and when you run, you will not stumble. Now he's shifting from the instruction to the sun activity. He's telling him, if you walk on that path, you're not going to be hindered. Each decision you make, you'll find yourself making the right decisions along the way. One time, um, I asked I asked a monk long time ago, a question that we all ask when I was young, high school. I told him, we believe and we have all of this stuff. What about people who don't believe? And he told me something beautiful. He said, if you have a path that is certain to lead you to God, why would you ponder another path? Other path, we're not sure. We don't know. But if I have a specific path that's clear, makes a big difference. That's why it's really important to understand that when I am living my life, I am tying my life to a goal. Here he's really focused on the goal, the wisdom, which is the Lord, obviously. That's, Einstein had a very famous saying, he says, if you want to live a happy life, tie it to a goal, not to people. And that makes a big difference. And he's telling him you will not stumble. And you see this in Isaiah 40. 
He says, even youth shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. People who their eyes are fixed on the Lord, they have a special strength that nobody else has. What can possibly hinder their life? That's why St. Paul said, famine, persecution, nakedness. What, what are you going to do to me? The eye of my eyes is on the kingdom of heaven. They are not what? They are not to stumble. And you notice in this verse, specifically verse 12, there's a bit more of a passive voice because there's a, like an agent working in the background. He says, take firm hold of instruction. Do not let go. Keep her for she is your life. Keep her for she is the life. In, in verse 13, he's using three commandments. You know, like when you kind of uh, accept college uh, admission, what happens? You make a decision and you accept college. And then he's telling you, you made the decision, do not stop. And not, not to stop, to hold fast on her. Like keep fighting, keep going. Why is he telling you this? Because along the ways, there are so many reasons for people to be discouraged, to be fatigued, to doubt, to not believe to feel like I'm here by accident, to feel I'm rejected. He's saying, you made the decision, do not let go of my instruction. Okay? Now, if you guys remember last lecture, he was telling him, go buy and sell wisdom. It means like, go invest in learning. Here, he's gonna tell him, avoid the way of the wicked. Because just like you go, want to seek wisdom, you must not open yourself to a way where wisdom can be stolen from you. Wisdom is a person to know and a life to practice. But what is he telling him? He's telling him, do not enter the path. Remember I told you if, last time, sorry, I told you that each lecture is an introduction. So we just finished the introduction from verse 14 to verse 17 is the actual lecture. And then at the end, he gives a conclusion or he gives a motivation why you should listen to the lecture. So now we're in the lecture. The lecture is about four verses from 14, uh, three verses, 14 to 17. He's telling him, do not enter the path of the wicked. Do not walk in the way of the evil. Avoid it. Do not travel on it. Turn away from it and pass on it. Sounds like my mom talking, right? She says, what? Do not, do not talk to this person. Do not even come to that place. Do not look at it. Do not touch it. Do not do all this. He really specifically says, do not even reflect on any of the ways of the wicked. A lot of times people say in their own imagination, be like, I wish I've explored the sin more. I wish I explored this path more. I could have tried this and had fun and then repented. He's telling, he's telling no. Because you're constantly missing out on growing with God, constantly missing out on becoming holy, and your desires will never end. He's saying sin has a cost, it's not for free. Even if God forgives me, but when I go to heaven, I realize that I could have 
growing so much close to God. One of the Western saints, she said this, I thought it was beautiful, I don't know how accurate, but she said, in heaven, there exists a special heaven inside the heart of Jesus. And only few can enter. The way of the wicked, he, is she's telling you not to reflect on it. Why? Because people can easily fall onto it. And I'll give you some practical examples. Like some people, for example, are very... It's kind of interesting how they justify, for example, taking painkillers or weed or melatonin for sleep, sleeping pills. A lot of things that people take feel like it's okay to take. Alcohol, things that people know for sure it's harmful, harm, harmful to them. But people take it and they say, it makes me feel good. It makes me happy. It puts me to sleep. It does this. It does that. And once you reflect on the path of sin, it becomes a problem. It's interesting, I've, I've seen this a few times, where people, for example, be smoking, for example, marijuana, and be like, I do it because it helps me to function, it helps me to this. And whenever they have a job interview, what they do? They have to stop it for a few weeks so they can pass their drug test. You can't stop it, you can live without it. But people, when they walk in the way of the wicked, they start finding wrong lies and excuse, start finding lies and excuses that pushes them to continue the wrong. People, for example, that uses Adderall to stay away during exams or during studies. And some people now, some generation now works by pills. I take a pill to keep me focused. I take a pill to put me to sleep. I take a pill to help me to have muscles. I take a pill. Everything is basically now and people justify it. Regardless of all the diseases and all the harm that comes with it, it's justified. So she's saying do not reflect on the way of the sin. People go by a lot of these muscles enhancer, for example. All day long they're looking at how big a guy is, how muscles, how big he is, reflecting on the sin constantly. And what happens? They'll fall into it. It harms them. Same thing for gossiping and making fun of people. She's, the, the wisdom saying, do not even give it any attention whatsoever. Do not give it any attention whatsoever. Obviously, there are the lists, maybe obvious sins, where it can take our life, for example, love of money. People can can make that become the center of their life. And she's saying, do not, the wisdom says, do not stumble on these ideas. Holding grudges. Many people, their family member will die without them reconciling with them or even trying. It is a problem when we start opening the door for the sin. That's why St. Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy, he told him what? But you have carefully followed my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, love, perseverance, persecution, affliction, which happened to me. Saying you have seen everything. Telling me what? 
basically it's a long passage by telling him you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of knowing from you from you you have learned them why why is he telling young adult this there's a problem with young people what is the problem with young people you guys are all young people here what's the problem young people tend to be very healthy and they tend to feel invincible they tend to feel like you know the disease will never hit them old age is far away from them I can do anything and obviously even young people they start to deal with their family and sometimes parents um, their my brain slow down and the kids feel I'm more intelligent than my parents I can process things much faster than my parents I know better language than my parents I know the computer more than my parents and then what happens they feel like I can do anything I want I am capable and because they excel at certain things they forget that they don't have the experience in life and by the way I don't want you to feel like when I'm talking about instruction I'm specifically talking about parents because some parents give very bad advice we're talking really merely about the wisdom of God that's given to us through the scripture and the church so here he's really saying be careful especially young young people and obviously now in the West there's a different group that was uh, that have grown over the years they call them young adults those people who are for example from early 20s until mid 30s a lot of this age group is not married in America and in the West so this age group actually make a lot of money but they have a lot of free time so they feel like I could do anything I want I can travel I could spend money I can they have all the things they do so here he's telling them do not reflect on sin stay away from sin stay away from the way of the wicked why is he telling him stay, stay with the way of the wicked look here verse 16 he's gonna explain it for they not sleep for they do not sleep unless they have done evil and their sleep is taking away unless they make someone someone fall so what's the problem with the way of evil the way of evil is addictive you're not gonna sleep unless you have done evil you're not gonna sleep if you walk on the way of the evil you're not gonna sleep unless the evil make you sin in lust in drugs in cursing in judging and whatever it is that's why Micah says woe to those who devise iniquity and work out evil on their beds at morning light they practice it because it's in the power of their hands there are some people unfortunately they love to this there are there are some people also when they are walking in evil ways they like other people to do the same so they don't feel bad about themselves like if a group go out and they drink and one person doesn't drink the rest of the group feel guilty so there's a an inner desire to make that person also at fall to turn the light into darkness that's what people want to do all evil habits tend to be addictive phones media drinking anger stealing tattoos even tattoos some studies showed that it could be addictive for the goal of the evil the goal of the evil 
is to, pro is to produce addictive behavior. And that's why it's important to look at my life and be like, what addictive behavior do I have? Some people are obsessed with the TV show, that if the TV show come, time comes, or he wants to watch it or follow it, especially for those who follow Ramadan in Egypt, if something happens, God forbid, and he cannot attend the show, it's the end of the world. Addictive behavior, all over. First, he says, for they eat the bread of wickedness and drink the wine of violence. Always the concept of bread means what sustains them. You know, for example, the children of God, what sustains them is the love of God. Those who are away from God, what sustains them is evil. That's why in the scripture says, do not incline my heart to any evil thing to practice wicked works with men who work iniquity and do not let me eat of their delicacies. Not even delicacies. There are some people when they get revenge, they feel very happy. And there were some that only practice forgiveness. There are some people when they make fun of somebody and bully him, they feel happy. And some like to encourage. There are many people who are envious of their co-workers or their friends or their other students in school. Their bread is evil. I want to be better than everybody. I want others to fall. People don't deserve it. I deserve it. The way of the wicked is addictive and it does not rest until it causes evil. And it's interesting, some of the most basic things we might hear all the time, it's interesting how much it impacts us. There are many books actually that are written about you are what you think, your thoughts determine your life. Along these titles you'll find 50 million books. Why? Because what you believe in, what your conviction, what your thoughts is, will determine your happiness, your joy, your goal, your path, everything. Now, from verse 18 to 19 is a conclusion of this sermon, or this lecture. He says, but the path of the just is like the shining sun that shines ever brighter unto the perfect day. He says, the path of the, the, path of the righteous, there's not even clouds in it. It's so clear. That's why in 2 Samuel, for example, it says, and it shall be like the light of the morning when the sun rises, a morning without clouds, like the tender grass springing out of the earth by clear shining after the rain. What does it mean the path of the righteous is like a sun? The, the righteous path always, always settles well with the deepest and purest human conscience. One time, uh, Father Lewis of the Rose said he went to his father of confession. Abuna Makhil Ibrahim and told him I'm struggling to hear the voice of God in something specific specific situation Abuna Makhil told him very simple see which choice will cause you more loss worldly loss and follow that 
see which choice will cause sacrifice and follow that. When you hear something like this, it is hard, but it's pure. It's difficult, but it hits the depth of the heart of man. Righteousness shines like a sun. Gregory of Nessa said, the person who removes himself from all hatred and flesh, fleshly odor and rises above all low and earthbound things, have, having ascended higher than the whole earth, as in after-mentioned flight, will find the only thing that is worth longing for, having come close to the beauty, he will become beautiful himself. Though his participation in the true light, he himself will be the state of brightness and illumination. As we seek light, we ourselves become light. And then he tells him, the way of the wicked is like darkness. They do not know what makes them stumble. What does it mean? Darkness means no principles, no goals, no morals. They don't understand what makes them get worse with time. It's a loss of direction. And you see this section in Deuteronomy 28, when it says, The Lord will strike you with madness and blindness and confusion of heart, and you shall grope at noonday as a blind man gropes in darkness. You shall not prosper in your ways. You shall be only oppressed and blundered continually, and no one shall save you. This is, happens to people who live in disobedience to God. But this is lecture six. Lecture, lecture five, he says, get wisdom. Lecture six, he says, what? Do not wa walk in the way of the wicked. Lecture seven, he's going to focus on, do not swerve from the right path to the left or to the right. It's like interesting. He says, get wisdom. Second one is, some avoid the way of the wicked. But then there's another problem that some people might just kind of deviate a little bit, left or right. And he's saying, do not. Actually, this lecture is interesting. It's a bit different because he's almost going through the anatomy of the son, the disciple who's listening to him. He's talking about the ears in verse 20, the eyes in verse 21, the heart in verse 23, the body in verse 22, the mouth in 24, eyes in 25. He's almost walking through the anatomy of the person to, to help him understand how each commandment, how he responds to each commandment. Here, the the introduction for this lesson is verse twenty one, uh, verse twenty to twenty one. What is he going to tell him? He's going to tell him, "My son, give attention to my words." There we go, a new lecture. Incline your ear to my sayings. It's actually beautiful how he put this because he says, "My son, give me, give me, uh, give attention to my word. Incline your ear to my sayings." He usually doesn't. He, every lecture he starts with "my son," but he doesn't usually put "incline your ears" in the same verse as "my son." So it's almost in a way he's starting the same way, but brings it in a new way every time. There's like a new a new way of attracting the son each time. Okay? He's like, incline, give, give attention to my word. 
But he's telling him, I'm going to present a lesson to you, but in a different way. You know, like almost some people were telling me, um, His Grace Bishop Suryal was giving them a talk about Habib Gurgis. And he was talking about Habib Gurgis was creative in presenting the lessons. Even though it's the same lesson, but people can think about it differently. And he used to give every child a picture with the lesson in the back. And each time he'll do something different so people can can enjoy and learn the lesson in different way. And that's obviously important uh, in, in, in our life. One time I asked a child, I told him, what was your favorite Sunday school lesson? He told me about a servant who came to the lesson, turned off the lights, moved the chairs, and tied some of the kids with chains. And he started telling them about the story of Paul and Silas when they were in the prison. And he told me, I've never forgotten that lesson. When he told me about this lesson, he was in college, but he took this lesson in middle school. However, there is an, there's a sense of creativity each time uh, Solomon brings a lesson. He says, do not let them depart from your eyes. Keep them in the midst of your heart. So the saying here are almost personalizing uh, the sayings, he's personalizing the sayings and the wisdom as almost taking feet and walking away from him. And he's telling him, keep the commandments at the center of your heart. You guys know the Ten Commandments were hosted at the center of the Holy of Holies. If I'm the temple of God, the center of my heart should be the commandments of God. Not money, not greed, not how I look. Not how I feel. The center should be the commandments of God. The beginning of a spiritual life actually is keeping the commandment of God. That's why uh, one of the Western saints, she said something beautiful. She said what? A noble and delicate soul, even the simplest, but one of delicate sensibilities, sees God in everything. Finds Him everywhere. And knows how to find him even in the most hidden things. It finds all things important. It highly appreciates all things. It gives thanks to God for all things. It draws profit for the soul from all things. And it gives glory to God. It places its trust in God and is not confused when the time of ordeals come. It knows that God is always the best of fathers and makes little of human opinion. It follows faithfully the faintest breath of the Holy Spirit. It rejoices in the spiritual guests and holds on him as a child holds on his mother. Where other souls come to, st to stand still and fear, the soul passes without fear or difficulty. This is a soul that has God at the center of the heart. The commandments at the center of the heart. Life flies. I remember maybe 10, 15 years ago, uh, my father of confessions at the time was turning 50. So I remember he wrote a post, he said, half of a generation have passed by in a twinkling of an eye. 
He became 50, 50 is half of 100. See, they passed by like a second. Life passes by quickly. And every moment is a chance to keep the Word of God the center of my life. Now he's going to start giving them motivation. Why should they follow commandments? He says, For they are life to those who find them, and health to all their flesh. Wisdom is a restoration of life, full life. Life is about growth and movement and goals and present. You cannot experience life without wisdom. Wisdom is God Himself. I cannot grow and learn and, and have the correct goals and live in the right path without God. And He says, sound teachings preserve a person better than medicine. You know, like people, for example, who have diabetes, they'll tell you, I wish when I was younger, when they made us basbusa or chocolate or something, I'll take a small piece instead of like eating half of it, right? There are some things that wisdom, if you learn the right, the correct things, it really is better than health, is better than the, uh, the medicine because it gives you health, it gives you prevention. Instead of people, for example, sinning to the point where they lose part of their self to sin and to recover sometimes it becomes very difficult even if they recovered uh, in a spiritual sense sometimes physically and psychologically it becomes difficult but he says wisdom is a better than medicine and that's why in first timothy saint paul said for bodily exercise profits a little but godliness is profitable for all things having promise of the life that is now, is, and that of which to come. And now, the verse 23 is, is really, um, it's really the core of this lesson. So we'll, we'll talk about this verse and then we'll conclude. But it's a beautiful verse. He says, Guard your heart with all diligence, for out of it spring the issues of life. Guard your heart with all what diligence, for out of it springs the issues of life. When he's talking about guard your life, here he's specifically almost using the analogy of a prison guard guarding the prison. It means I will not let anything come into my heart easily. Let me give you an example. Sometimes, for example, you are uh, in, in, in the medical field. And you find people talking, for example, about all these research conferences and all this and all that. And then deep inside, what grows inside of you is a sense of like, oh, I wish I could have that much prestige. I wish I could have that much, uh, I, I'm known as this specific doctor. Or I wish I could have all these different clinics under me and I become a, a businessman. And I'm, what's, what enters the heart is not a concept of helping and the concept of utilizing my talents, but sometimes what enters in the pride of life. And that happens in every almost area. People can easily get impressed by anything. And that's why commercials are very successful, social media is very successful, 
because people are very impressionable. That's why St. Basil said, whoever therefore would be truly a follower of God must cut the bonds of attachment to this life. And this is done through complete separation from and forgetfulness of old habits. We must wrestle ourselves from both fleshly ties and worldly society, being turned supporters, as it were, to another world in our manner of living. This is what St. Basil is saying. There are some things that come out of my heart and some things that enter my heart that I have to guard it. Like, for example, some people cannot guard their heart from sharing people's secrets and vulnerability. Somebody would sit and be like, Abuna, I cannot keep secrets. Why not? <laughs> Why not? What's so difficult about keeping secrets? Why can't I guard my heart? Because I want people to see that I know. And I'm, I'm connected. And people find rest in talking to me. Right? Sometimes, for example, um, people might pass judgment upon others out loud that could impact other people's view of a certain person. People could share their own spiritual gifts and graces without discernment. And unfortunately, some could even share very intimate problems with others about their own families that could cause issues. I must guard my heart. And then also other things that enter my heart, like I talked earlier about the love of money, or sometimes people say, you know what, from now on, I'm going to only care for myself, and only myself. Okay, I've never seen this anywhere in the Bible. Hey? Or I don't need to listen to anyone from now on. Or I let, like, for example, any comparison or envy or hardening of the heart enter. I have to guard my heart. Look here, he says what? He says, out of it springs the issues of life. What does he mean by this? I've told you this before. God looks at the desire of the heart. God looks at the desire of the heart more than our prayers. So my goal and your goal is to make my heart desire the things of God, not of the world. And that becomes extremely important. So if I'm not watchful, if a, a thought or idea comes to my heart and say, no, no, I don't, this is not my idea, this is not something I accept, I don't want this in, I will have evil hidden inside my heart. St. Macarius says, the scripture instructs everyone to guard his own heart with all diligence, so that anyone guarding the word within him like a paradise may enjoy the grace not to listen to the serpent that creeps around inside, enticing him with things that lead to pleasure and whereby anger that slays a brother is injured and the soul that gives birth to it itself dies. But may he have the grace rather than to listen, rather to listen to the Lord saying, be concerned with faith and hope through which love of God and of men is 
engendered with bestows eternal life. Here he's talking specifically, says Simakir, says, I must guard the word of God inside my heart. And I was telling you earlier, I said, there must be at the center of my heart a commandment, a law, a passage that is focused on. A lot of times when you look at the fathers of the church, a lot of times they'll have always a passage or a prayer or a thought or a verse or a story that's in their mind. Like some people were saying, for example, Father Bishwari Kamen spent 40 years on the book of Exodus. Every time they ask him to talk about any topic, he'll bring it from the book of Exodus. Because he really lived it so much and read it multiple times. One time, Abuna uh, he went to give a, a retreat to the servants. He told them, we'll study the letter of Philippians. He told them, read it before you come. So they read it before they came. He asked them, did you read it? They said, yes. He told them, okay, very good. Now we need to read it three more times before we sit into the Bible study. There's a difference between reading and difference between encountering God when we are reading His Word. It will not be the center of my heart unless I encounter Him. And glory be to God forever and ever. Amen. This talk was brought to you by Upper Room Media. We hope that this talk has, through the grace of God, touched your heart. And we pray that it will not only inform you, but will also transform you and your life with Christ.